2: This is the big interview clip show where we just thought it was a good idea to pick out some themes that snaked through the big interview first series and to try to see what our guests had as shared interview opinions about those themes. Now players names came up over and over again and during the conversation I had to stop and divert from the questions I had planned to find out more about them. Largely these are the Mavericks. Footballers who have always been able to get us out of our seats with one flash of genius. In sport, not many of these genius mavericks can tell you how they do it. They just do it. But Chris Wardle's different. The former England winger takes you inside the mind of a genius and breaks down exactly how he perfected the technique that made fools of defenders from the Sunday Leagues and from the San Siro, plus the good and bad of the pressure to entertain when it becomes ecstasy and when it becomes a burden. You've used the phrase, body language, um, which I know you meant it in a different way, but it's part of the reason that we're all here today talking to you, in that I warned you before this chat, Mm. I'd say things that would embarrass you. Mm. But these are sincere. I I think that in many ways you were England's Zidane. I compare your balance and your vision and your ability with the ball and what you did with the ball, but what you could do to other people around you, which which was pretty special. But uh, another thing that annoys me is when I read people writing about you and it was enigmatic or languid, which wasn't true. They were mm-hmm. very, very fast with the ball, mm-hmm. which is a rare trick. And you reminded me of Michael Loudrop yeah, and yeah. his ability to go past people at a fair physique too. Mm. Like, But are you able to define how you do the things you do with not with the ball, but dropping the shoulder or showing people one way and going the other or all the various things that made you an elite footballer on the world level? Did it just... Happen because your brain gave you messages to your body or did you think about it or did it change from when you were skinny to when you were, you know, physically intimidating?
3: No, uh, when I was started playing, kicking the ball around, when I was four, five, three, four, five, six, my dad was a massive football, uh, loved it, he loved football, he'd do his work, but football was his passion. Uh, I told two older brothers, so I was out on the field at three, four, playing, but at five, six, I was... Um, doing the body swerve then. I remember when I was 6, 7, eight, I remember doing that trick. I, you know, people always say to me about, yeah, I'm a great believer in practising with the ball, getting the feel of a ball, passing the ball, but you can't go into training every day and say, right, lads, it's what we're doing now, we're going to do body swerves, step overs, turns. I've seen a lot of players on training grounds do a step over, and I go, do that on a Saturday, looks all right, that. you might work. No, I'm not doing that. Why? Well, I might trot on the ball, or I might... Do it wrong. And? Well, if you do it right. No, I'm not doing it. To me, it was a natural thing to go and do. That's how I played. And the great thing I had growing up was, my dad obviously was a big influence because he he was in the ear. but I never had a manager, whether it be a school teacher, whether it be under 18, uh, junior teams. Even when I went to clubs, really, I never really had a guy who'd pulled me to one side and went, Stop dribbling, stop doing it. All he used to say was, give him the ball, give him the ball and let him get on with it. And yes, some days it frustrates because it doesn't happen for whatever reason. The kids say they're good or you read you or you just, it's just not there. But the art of, of beating people is how close you get to the man. You know, I, I watch now on the TV and I see players running and they're getting within five yards of the fullback or the centre half or the midfield player, whoever they're playing against, and they start doing step overs and they start doing this. Hey, that foot over the ball, over the ball up. But the guy's five yards away. You're never going to beat a guy five yards away. The object of beating a guy is getting as close as you can, basically, to you within a yard. Because that is when, basically, you're going to go one way or the other or he's going to nick the ball off you. You can't beat a guy from five yards. He's got to be a very bad defender if you're beating a guy from five yards away. But So, to me, you know, somebody says, well, how far do you run the ball to the guy? I went, you don't. It's just it happens. And I've always believed that when you're a footballer, you're born with your talent you've got. Now, it's how you put together. Will you feel mentally, physically? Will you not be good enough that way? Listen, you, you can go and watch your Sunday morning game, you'll see a kid with a trick, but you just think mentally, all, the whole package, not good enough to step up ladders. But that level, he's a very good player. But you're born with it. Because I, I he was to me, could you show us how to do a body sweep? And I went, I can show you, but you can't do it in the games. Because people don't sell the body enough. You've got to sell it as if... I always just say, imagine you are going to go that way. And I used to look at the defender's point of view, and I'd say, if I'm going that way, he thinks I'm going that way, obviously. And it's just that last second where you think, I'm not, mate. You think I am. <laughs> so you've got to really exaggerate it as if to think the ball is getting left behind in a way because I'm taking it off. I'm taking off from my right foot. I'm off. And it's just that last second where you're off. Here you think where well, he is. He's going. Here he goes. And then you take it with your left foot, which I do. Obviously, if you're a right foot, you do it the other way. And that's how you beat the guy. But if I ran up with the guy, I've seen it work. down his wrong from five yards. But the time when it works and when it really works is you've got to convince that man. It's a confidence trick. Go that way. It's, yeah. a, con- it's oh, a corner yeah. isn't it? It's like a step over. You know, it looks like you're taking the ball and you don't. You just roll your foot over it. But the guy thinks you're kicking the ball. So he goes that way. And then you change direction, take the ball. In, I thought, you know, anybody can do this, but the art is when to do it. and It's that split second, you know. When you watch Lionel Messi, when you watch Cristiano Ronaldo, when he's best, when he's on the, you know, when he's dribbling. Mm. All these players that we want to talk about, who you'll mention, you know, you're over the years, and all these players, and Tommy Hutchinson's, and John Robertson's. They used to drag the ball. They'd have the ball right up the people. Used to torment the, the full-back, you know, because. There's always a player you back off, back off, back off, back off. So you should think, he never goes past us, but you think, I don't need to go past you because you just back off till I get to an area where I can cross it or pass it. So you're doing me a favour, really. Then you'll get the ones who think, what I'll do is I'll back, 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 then I'll dive in. And then again, that's timing to see him coming, that movement, that split second. When you see him come to tackle you, you move the ball and he's lying on his backside, no, oh, he's stuck and you're away. You know, and then it's like, show him this way, show him that way. And I, and I always tell a story where, I remember playing against Maldini at Wembley for England, and I think it was about 80, eight, 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 eight. I think he was 20, 19, 21. And I was raving about this kid. And don't get me wrong, he, what a player he was. Mm. Anyway, I played, and it was in a midweek game friendly for England against Italy. And I tortured him. I played right. And I always remember the game. I come off, and I thought, that, you know, that's how you play as a winger type thing. And I was like, the Italians were like, can't believe it. <laughs> Never seen anybody do that. And the pressed, you know, and then when I, was, you know, years on, I voiced it. Every Italian player I met, Mancini was manager of Man City, and I went in the tunnel and I was Mijan. And they all used to say the same thing, Viali, the, the lot, the only man to embarrass Maltin. <laughs> and I used to think, is that what I remembered for in Italy? Just for that? Is that it? And anyway, years ago, gone on, and um, I was playing Sunday football in Sheffield, and uh, played against a young fullback, pub football. And this young kid bought every trick, every trick. And I had this kid spinning round. And I was 42, 43. The centre-half shouting across. It's only before the game. He always does the same thing. So, and then I'm going to center off. Will you come out here? <laughs> so, uh, you know, then he's saying, if I come out there, I'll put you across the touchline yeah, and all that. I yeah, went, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all before, you know. Anyway, this young kid's like, oh, sick of this. Final whistle going. This kid, centre-halves on his left-backs, on his case all the time. So, as the game finishes, I walk off and I go, listen, mate. Don't worry about that. And he went, I went, Maldini fell for the same thing. (laughs) Then the kid went, he sort of grew in hate (laughs) and went, then he went to the center of it, Maldini fell out. (laughs) I always used to say to Pinot, I said, Don't worry, Maldini fell for the same trick, mate. I used to go and hold it in America a lot because. Deliberately in America, nobody knew who we were, mm. Oh, I was anyway. Mm. So I enjoyed America. It was like being a normal person. And I, I got to a stage, where even at Sheffield Wednesday, where I got depression a little bit came because they were expecting more every game. So all of a sudden, you've, you've got this image built around you of, well, you know, every time I got the ball, I wanted us to just double pass two, three people, cross it, somebody headed it in, or uh, passing. Every game became, and it eventually it got to us where I thought, I can't do anymore. And what I just can't keep going to another level of what they want. So all of a sudden, you start, it gets to you a bit. So all of a sudden, where you're out there playing with a smile, it becomes a bit of, you know, the ball would come to you and you'd see two guys running across towards you, and you thought, no, drop it down, pass it back into midfield or whatever. And you'd hear like, oh, you know, like a, a disappointment in the stadium as if to say, oh. And you just thought, you can't do it all the time. Mm. Nobody can. Mm. And, but it gets to you because you keep thinking, you know, when you've got the ball, you've got to do something great all the time. And it does get to you. There's no doubt about it. I, know, I don't know what modern players are like, but when we were playing it, it would be that as well. If you went and saw a manager and said, oh, I feel a little bit dingy about it, yeah. they'd say, then old school would be, shut up. Don't, don't get don't, out. Don't
2: admit a weakness.
3: Yeah, get out. What are you talking about? Where in modern day, it would be like, hey, we've got a guy coming in to talk to you, we'll send you to so and so. It's the way the game's changed. Old school, was was there something wrong with you? Mm. And you'd be like, "Well, the, get out, mm. you know, just get on with it." And, and you know, it's changed the game now. It got to a level where I just thought, "You can't do this week in, week out what you are doing." Yeah, maybe with a bit of luck, you could. But it gets to you. It did get to me where I thought, I, "I can't do it. I just can't keep doing what people expect."
2: Mavericks. Is there anybody in British history who defines that term better than Paul Gascoigne? Let's listen to three footballers who give us completely different perspectives on the genius of English football in the 1990s. A good but troubled man. All of us wish him well. First up, Michael O'Neill. He found himself taken under Gaza's generous wing as a young player at Newcastle. Alan Pardew tells us what it was like to man Mark Gascoigne at the height of his playing career. And finally, back to Chrissy Waddle. He tells us what happens when Gaza has time on his hands and a box of eggs at his disposal. Duck! Or, or goose, or chicken. I, he didn't specify the type of eggs. <laughs> That one of the guys that when you got to Newcastle, aged 17 18, mm-hmm. pretty much straight out of school, yeah, yeah, that Gaza was, yeah, very positive to yeah. be
4: around for you as, a, mm-hmm. as an individual, not just a great player yeah. to watch. He terrified me, first of all, <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> probably because i come from school. But Darren Jackson was there at the time as well, oh, and, and Darren, right Darren, right Darren had come down from Scotland, he was two or three years older, and Darren was three years older than me, and Gaza was. So 21, yeah, there was about three years between me and Darren, about just over two and a bit between myself and Paul. And they were tight. And uh, I think it was probably initially Darren, because Darren had come from Meadowbank at the time to go to Newcastle. And he kind of understood me, because I was coming from Corey, and it was a similar sort of scenario, coming essentially at part-time football in a club like Newcastle. And he had adapted very well to it. You know, him him and Paul—they included me straight away. That was the biggest thing. You know, at times, you know, I would have been the brunt of. There was a price humor. Yeah, there was a price, and maybe at the time I wasn't. You know, I I could never. Maybe at times didn't always get my head around that, but that inclusiveness for a footballer is huge. I think it's a huge thing to find that you are part of it that you're included that you're not sitting there thinking oh, I'm dreading the dressing room this morning or I'm dreading you know what what's you know how, how, how I am perceived in the group or, or am I part of the group and probably you know not long after I went to Newcastle we, we were we had a free weekend for some reason and we, we were taken away to Benidorm and, and we did a bit of training and stuff and it was a big thing that week was huge for me because I, I had never even been away as a kid, I'd never been on, like, a boys' holiday or something. So going away at that age with men, as I perceived them, that was terrifying as well. Full of risk. Yeah, and, and how, but again, it was, it was a huge thing for me. And, and, and Paul had a way where he was very demanding, right? And he could fly off the handle in training or he could, you know, he could give you a mouthful on the pitch. And I remember in my debut, I made my debut against Charlton. The chemistry between me and him and the pitch wasn't great at that time. He was looking to play little things around the corner and I was running in behind. And it was kind of making him look bad, I suppose, in a way. And he was, you know, giving me a lot of verbals during the game and I pretty much just took it. And maybe once or twice I would have chipped back. But when we came in on the Monday, and I hadn't seen it. He came in the Monday and he, put, he says, I'm sorry. He says, I shouldn't have done that. He says, I've been thinking about it all weekend. You came in, you were involved in setting up the equaliser. He says... Just when you go on that pitch, take the ball. He says, make sure you take the ball. And, you know, no one can ever accuse Paul of never taking the ball on the pitch. You know, the responsibility he took on the pitch yeah, the the opposite. Opposite. It was totally the opposite. And it stuck with me, really. It always did stick with me in my mind to say, well, actually, I want it to be that type of player. I want it to be that to be able to take that responsibility that he took. But it meant a lot that he would come to me that day and say, listen, I'm sorry. And, and, and our relationship probably then w- then grew from that. And I hadn't seen him for years, and it was funny. We were at Tottenham in the Europa League when I was at Shamrock Rovers, and just by coincidence, he was at the game. And he had waited for me after the game, and it was really nice, nice to see him again, you know?
2: He thought you could play. That was yeah, the thing. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, in those days, initially, even though... I mean, he was, a f- he was a fabulous footballer even then, but I suppose he was still... He was still making his way, and and it's not as if he had bags of experience. But he saw a player and told you so, and -hmm. you had thirteen or fourteen, twelve or thirteen goals in Mm -hmm. in only twenty two games at Newcastle out of a decent side at that Mm -hmm. stage, and to be told that you could play.
4: Yeah, I mean, by a fella like that. Oh, totally. When you're a young player like that, you know, when you get that level of, I suppose, uh, it's like approval, really, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's it's like it's a level of approval. That you know you respond to that, and uh, you know it did. It gave me confidence and belief, and I had a great first season. And maybe Paul leaving was the wrong thing for me because I think then the expectation on me was greater than the next season. The team wasn't as strong equally. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we tried to replace him. It was a little bit like a modern day. I suppose, Suarez situation when he left Liverpool where they tried to compensate for the... You can't replace the one player, so you, you bring in four or five players. That's what we, we did at Newcastle, and, and it didn't work. Mm. You know, we, we subsequently were relegated. But probably, you know, him staying it and being in the team would have helped me, certainly, in the second season as well. But when you changed
2: from somebody who'd been a creative player... A bit of time on the ball, a vision about where to put a pass, a ten-ish type of player. to a player who goes one-on-one with some of the greats of that age of English football, that's a big transition. What's it like? Because when you're a ten, a lot of the time or, or a creative midfielder, a lot of the time, there's only you in your head. There's the ball, I've read it, it's what I want to do with it, where's my space? What is he not like to suddenly, you know, it's Clifford Tyson fury There's two of you in, in, in that in your mm-hmm. space in your head and what was it like, Gazza, Robson, Barnes, and how well, did you Gaza, manage it?
5: Gaza was, uh, was a tormentor. Gaza would uh, go out of his way to kind of humiliate uh, any player. That was his style. You know, he was brilliant. But I wouldn't leave him. Um, <laughs> That's uh, a good expression. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't leave him alone. So we had a kind of uh, funny relationship. And he's not... He, he was... Uh, let's just say he's verbally... Uh, he was verbally enhanced <laughs> like myself. So we had some uh, interesting debates on the pitch. Uh, but he was funny. I always enjoyed playing against him. But I remember at Crystal Palace, he ran me across the pitch. He had the ball at his feet and he was dragging it with one and towing it with the other foot. And he went all the way across the pitch. They were winning at the time. And I could hear the crowd laugh, not laughing, kind of chuckling. Like, you know, you can at a game. You know, yeah. I like, like, oh. And I, but I didn't move. I just didn't make a tackle. I just followed him across the pitch. And when he passed, it, I said, well done. And we carried on playing, and he wow. laughed. Wow. And that's that just how I was at that time. I was just, like, motorised in my mind that that was the job I had to do. And I guess, like, I didn't, I didn't see the incident, but as you described it, because you were doing a
2: job and, and taking the, the fact that around there was a bit of a free zone around the ground... It probably wasn't
5: going anywhere that dangerous either, was it? It, it no, no, kind of looked no, exactly. okay, but you, you had done your job. Exactly. You know, at the end of the game, uh, I remember a few of the Palace, players, about one guys that took you across the pitch. And to be honest, I wasn't even. It doesn't even embarrass me. I don't even now. I think even Brighty, I've heard him say it a couple of times, bring it up and, uh, as a sort <laughs> of, you know, a yeah. funny story. I'd love to see a clip of it again because I know it didn't bother me in the slightest. And that's, uh, and that's kind of how my mentality had become by then. I was really kind of, like, focused on uh, what my job was and what Steve Copper wanted me to do. And that was it. That wasn't what I had to do.
2: But uh, somebody who's annoyed the hell out of you when you shared a room with them, but who's very, very dear to you, Gaza wasn't just this hyperactive, clout, witty, funny, generous man. He, you know, he had suffered tremendously difficult problems in his life. Are you as thrilled as I am to see him mm. just slightly finding a balance and equilibrium and, and looking happy and healthy again? I am. I'm, I've spoke to him off and on. Obviously, moved down south, and I've had the odd call,
3: a uh, chat with him. Not a lot, to be honest. But yeah, I read like everybody else, and I hear, you know, and he's looking good at the minute. Yeah, isn't he? I think. If you can just keep him like that now. But, you know, the the downside for Paul will be something will trigger which will upset him or somebody who he knows something might happen to, you know, something will will trigger something which he could easily go back down the old route. That's what we've seen basically over the years. Something happens, he turns to the bottle. You know, something happens, he turns to the bottle. You know, there's ways of dealing with things. Obviously, his ways, his main, it must be, I'm very unhappy now so the best cure will be to get drunk. You know, yes he's had help and he's had a lot of help by the way <laughs> uh, but with Paul is you, you see him get into I've seen him now and he looks great at the minute he's doing the question and answers he's going on the country and you know whatever he's doing and he's, he's got something on his mind and he's, he's working and he's got a purpose. The problem with Paul will be is something will trigger something off which sends him down that road Then that's when people have got to or he's got to fight that's where he thinks no, I'm not going down that road, I'm going to talk to somebody, I'm going to go that way. And I think something which can easily upset them, where we might think, oh, i want to talk to somebody or look at it and deal with it in a way which most people would probably deal with it, he may turn to
2: alcohol or something. You see, I'm, I want to be clear, because his his life became such a struggle, and he's a human being, not an ex-footballer, you know, I, I worry sometimes about talking about the things that made him such a national hero beyond his football, because these are also the things that led him into difficulties. Mm. But from my limited experience of meeting him and talking to him, number one, again, beyond his skills, he was a lovely man, a really, really nice, warm human being mm. and outrageously funny. I mean, off the scale funny. Mm. Is that a fair representation of the guy you knew when he was at his happiest and fittest and you know, he was whole as a person? I'll listen, the best nights of my life have been with him. And even
3: me, missus, will say the same. We had some unbelievable times with him. He was totally off the cuff. You didn't know what was going to happen. Or at nine times out of ten, it would let to a bit of trouble or headlines. To him, it was nothing. If saying, "What's wrong with that?" But yeah. I said, "I used to say, to him, don't do that. Why? You're poor gas guy. It'll be front page. Even if it was like anything, little trivial you'll make the papers." He didn't see that. He couldn't see that. He used to think, "What for?"
2: He, he didn't understand that, that. That's the point. He wasn't doing it for effect, was no. he? No. He's got this natural torrent yeah. of inventiveness and He'll wit. he just do something. And... He's off the cuff. You don't know what's
3: going to happen with him. He'll do things where you think, what are you doing that for? You know, to him, it's nothing. It's like, well, I just fancy doing it. I was just you know, sitting here and this happened. And... But to him, he didn't see the consequences of Paul Gascoigne front page again. And, um, so a lot of things he let like the trouble, But total, um, he gave the shit off his back. I used to see he was too generous to people, the things he used to do. Great company. You're always on the edge with him, though. You didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, literally, you didn't know what was going to happen.
2: So it made you a little bit... Did you share a room? Felt, oh, wow.
3: yes, yeah. I mean, first time, he used to sit and I sat on the bed, and he'd be on the other bed, and then he'd say, do you want a cup of tea? And I'd go, yeah, go on. And go, Sugar, yeah, one, yeah. OK. And I'd be watching the telly, and he'd come and put it down, and he'd go like, what's that? And, you know, he'd put bubble bath in it. Just, you know, you'd say, well, what are you doing that for? You know, it's a waste of a cup of tea, that. And he'd be like, I don't know, I just went and got the bubble bath. So, then we'd share rooms. You know, and I remember sharing rooms with Paul and it would be ten floors up in a hotel with Spurs or whoever. He'd go down, lads would bring like cheese and biscuits to the bedroom. He would bring a dozen eggs. And I'd say, "What you brought these eggs? What's this all about? And he'd open the window and if it was like across the road, it was a cash bank or something like that. (laughs) And by the way, you can throw, he had a right arm on him, Paul. I mean, he could throw a like anything out of his hands. Seriously? Oh, a great throwback. He, pff, he could have been a baseball player. He could have been anything in way. Right? Anyway, yeah. people were cash and you just hear, and you see all his eggs exploding, and you think, people were like that. You know, it was like a bird had dropped an egg on them. It was like, and nice I thing. think, I'd sit there and he sat at the window all night like this, eggs batting them things like that. <laughs> he wouldn't move, like, like an egg sniper. He'd, he'd just sit there waiting. And <laughs> you know, when Peter would come to the cash point, he'd go, well, oh, there's one come- I've got one, I've got one. <laughs> and I'd be just lying on the bed watching the telly, and I'd think, I'd say, Paul, you're going to get in trouble. Because if they turn around and they see you, not- but nobody knew where they were coming from, you know, he's like six doors <laughs> up, and he's like that. <laughs> and they'll let like them tear like missiles. <laughs> and I'd say, you're going to, and he didn't, obviously, but it would be something where you think, why don't you just bring cheese and biscuits like everybody else, or a yoghurt or something, you know, a bar of chocolate? Why don't you bring a dozen eggs everywhere we go? But that was him, totally. He did look at the consequences. To him it was a bit of fun. To other people it would be like, no, you can't do that. But to him it was just, oh you're having a bit of fun.
2: King Eric Cantona came into English football like a comet in 1992. Chris Waddle already knew what was heading our way, having shared a dressing room with Cantona at Marseille. And he tells us everything. At Leeds United, both Gordon Strachan and Gary McAllister witnessed the impact the Frenchman had on the team that would go on to win the title in 1992. Allez, mon brave! Cantona, le maverick! He played with Cantona. Eric, yeah, character. Never.
3: You know, people going about Eric, and all go. He was a, a really nice guy, you know. He'd come in in the morning, always come in. <laughs> Nine times out of ten would be on a Holly Davidson. Eric was Eric, big guy, you know, but nice guy, didn't okay. suffer fools. He'd come in, bonjour, ça every morning, very polite. And he was in the team, Beckenbauer liked them. It was me, him and uh, Papan. He got injured, he did his knee. and He was out six weeks or something like that, with ligament trouble. And by that time, it became me, Papan, and Pelle. And we were on fire. the three weeks. Eric couldn't get back in the team. And Eric was one of them who would think, I'm not sitting here. So we basically said, "I want to go," which they did. right, let him go to Nîmes or a million euro, or a million quid, whatever, whatever it was. But I used to get all right with him. He was never a problem. Come in, not not the most talkative. Trained well, a really nice guy. And uh, you know, to me, he was a, he was a good player. But I never thought he would be as big as he was when he came to my aid. And the French players, you know, the Marseille lads, and they used to say to me, "We could never see Eric being a massive player in France." You know, a good player, but not the Haiti Richmond United. You know, it, it, Eric was a bit quiet, a bit reserved, and you could see when people say he packed
2: in at 30, whatever it was. And say, yeah, I said, Yeah, I could see him. Not it. shocked by that. I could see would do that. No problem, I could see him do that. You made me laugh because when I moved to Barcelona, we decided that we needed a school that would be not Catalan for my young daughter who was moving from London. So we went to a school called Kensington in Pedralba, just up with PK Lid and overlooking the camp now. We came in and gradually the people will find out that maybe I, I talked about football or wrote about football. Oh, said, oh, you, was here for a year. Cantona's boy. And it was the Harley Davidson. He drove up the hill and the Harley Davidson roared up to the All school. Right. And the teacher said to us, uh, when he joined, there's a form. You have to sign the form. So it was name of the child, whatever his son's name was, parent, Eric Cantona, profession. And he sort of stopped, scratched his chin and went, sex symbol. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a legend Enjoy. and all the, all, the, all the mummies stayed after taking the kids into school just to see Eric roar up in and Harley Davidson and it feels to me as if United are in a stage now where if they signed Slatan, for example it would be akin to what kind of, yeah. did it, it's, it's that meeting of a presence an what attitude was? a talent and an ego that can explode at a big club oh, if, easy. if the
3: time is right easy you could see that listen like you saw you jump the hit the Palace fan when he came to England because he got banned in France because he waited in the tunnel and chin two players mm. you know he hid in the when they rolled the tunnel thing out he stood in the gaps and when they walked in he jumped out and hit he got them so but that was right. and he didn't look at the consequences you know he'd say Platini had a clue when he was French national he
2: never got many caps but that, type of, but that type of character we're in, we're in a place now where there's actually a picture of you two playing isn't yeah it? over there on, did I see a picture over of there yeah you playing for Chef Wedd and yeah, him playing yeah. for United
3: yeah yeah I, I, listen, I got him well with Eric I, I really liked him he was a really good guy and but I could see him packing in a 30 and I think what helped him in England a lot was English fans love a rebel mm. you know they love a yeah. they love a Jack the lad and I think Eric was off the cuff anything could happen i.e. the Gaza Syndrome mm. all these type of things uh, anything could happen with Eric so to them, it was somebody like, you know, reading that story about him. You no, know, people like Balotelli get more pressed for what he did off the field than he did on it. Mm-hmm. Where Eric did it for mine, he can't mm-hmm. say he didn't. So he, he got it for the right reasons, but people do like these type of characters who are sort of rule breakers. You know, we've always liked that type, whether it be snooker, football, yeah. any, any type of sport, any type of life, people like them rebellious type players. So when Eric came here, yeah, he fitted the bill. Mm. So obviously we, his football did the talking for him as well, don't wrong, but I could see why people took to him.
2: Canter, I like. Is,
1: is his arrival or... Well, his is arrival... He's, he's a, he's, is it overplayed a little bit? No, but, yeah, it overplayed a little bit, but ah. I, I wouldn't say his arrival was overplayed. His arrival was sensational. You know, I don't know if you know whether, how the, the sequence of events went. He'd arrived into the country. Platini obviously wanted him to get games. He'd fallen out with people in France. Everybody. So he needed to get to England. Gerard Hooley, phoned Trevor Francis. So... He goes into Sheffield Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But there's a big downfall of snow. Because of the weather permitting, they we can only train indoor. The two days that Eric is at Sheffield Wednesday is on an AstroTurf pitch under under the roof. Mm-hmm. So Trevor says, Well, I can't make a judgment. You know, you know, until I see you on grass. I don't know if those words went down too well with Eric. <laughs> so he jumps he jumps in a car and makes a few phone calls and I think the message gets to Howard. So he comes and trains at at Ellen Road. So we go through the normal little training session and then we go to a wee bit of finishing. And within ten seconds he scores a an overhead kick, a hitch kick, you know, bicycle kick, whatever you want to call it. And everybody just looks at each other and looks at Howard and go, <laughs> <laughs> sign on. <him>. Yes please <laughs> sign <watch>. us. <up." laughs> <laughs> you know when you It was be... like that seriously. But and I, I a lot of people will, will look at that title winning season and say that Eric was Integral, but it he wasn't. He played, I don't know. You need to look at the stats. I don't know. If, I, I, don't know if, I don't even know if he played a dozen games. No, I was going to say you know, ten. But what he did was, as teams were aware that we were really challenging, we were coming to Ellen Road and literally parking the bus in a new modern term. And Eric, he did change games. You know, we were struggling to break teams down. He would come against Chelsea, scored a wonderful goal flipping over, over the big fella Elliot, a couple of goals against Luton. You know, there was two or three games. At Ellen Road, where we were struggling to break the opposition down, and he came on, and so he, he, he certainly played a part. Certainly played a part, we, but but nowhere near. The It's of kind stric- of mythical. Stric- and, stric- and, yeah, 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 It's, it's uh, more. It's more about what he went on to do, and people referred back and said he was he was the man. I kind of reinvent happened. a little bit backwards. Yeah. We spent some time with Chrissy Ward on this series, and,
2: and, and Chris really quite liked Eric, mm-hmm. and also said that he was he bore no resemblance to. What you could think of him if you only saw, if you only read about cursing at referees and then throwing a book at a panel of people finding him and falling out with whoever it was mm-hmm. and, and jumping off into the Crystal Palace fan. have you had it coming? You thought he was a terrific pro and a good lad and fun to train with. What was it with the football? Just talking about the football with you and him and Gordon and him. Was it easy to understand? Or was it just like there was something quite natural because
1: oh, yeah. you've all got a, a nice domination of the ball. It was one of those occasions where the football language is totally international. There was no need to communicate. Or, you know, it was just that he, he knew and he could see. You know, and he fell into little areas. There was. He was a, he's a quality footballer and he, he's proved that. Hmm. Moving on after we won the league. It was really bizarre the way things just deteriorated With him and the manager And I was quite pally and And he sort of was looking to me And obviously I was a captain after that season So I'm Howard's oh captain and, and I was caught in between a little bit To be perfectly honest At the time of his departure I, I don't know if there was any other options left to Howard mm-hmm. But it'd un- it had become untenable He was really destructive in the training bit sulky Sulky, yeah, which makes it really awkward And it was yeah. that awkwardness I suppose the only thing was you know in hindsight it's a wonderful thing you don't sell them to Man United (laughs) (laughs) that's right I I think that you know I think I think that originally it was Howard went inquiring for Dennis Irwin to try and bring Dennis back to Leeds he started at Leeds and Fergie went no 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 I don't think he's for sale but we'll take Cantona and (laughs) then it was like he'd gone you know,
2: and the weirdest thing is because living abroad now, I, I I begin to miss out on some of this tapestry of our football, mm-hmm. which I think is always almost as interesting behind the scenes. Not the rows, but the personalities, the decisions, the trends. And it was only recently I found out, and I don't know if it was common knowledge, that Fergie had decided that that creative move the ball, that linchpin mm-hmm. number 10 player Focal that he was, was Peter Beardsley. Yeah.
1: And then, and
2: and then just, he
1: just fell upon. And Cameron. then
2: and he, he was about to start doing the thing for Pierre, and then, yeah. literally, as you say, he's like, What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Couldn't believe his luck.
1: Things you know, are like There was obviously wee things when Eric went to, you know, it was the time of all the youngsters coming on the scene at Manchester United and how impressed they were of, of Eric staying behind at training. So it was similar, you know, like batting speed were the same, you know, and, and Strachan would come and. And Eric would always come and join that that, you know, just behind, you know, bending free kicks and having cracks at the goal. And obviously the young players at Manchester United bought into that as well and, and seen the practice and practice and practice, the muscle memory, and muscle memory. You know, and, and all of a sudden Beckham and Scholes can they can put a ball in a six months, can't they? Just by repeating and repeating.
2: You touched on something in terms of Naka doing extra work and I want to just touch on Cantona at Leeds because I think the myth of what he did subsequently I think has probably added a little bit to how much he gave to Leeds in the championship yeah. season. I could be wrong, but clearly he was still an extraordinary talent and interesting and wide-ranging personality. What was it like to work with him and what impact did he have on
6: that club in that year? Oh, well, listen, he made a difference. Really? To win it. Yeah, he made a big difference. And he didn't play a lot of games No But his presence was just what we were needing at that time When we were starting to get a bit tired He made a difference He was a guy you couldn't get close to He kept himself himself Even in the bus Which is understandable Because his English wasn't great at that time That's not a problem People think, well, it was a bad move But it really wasn't Because his it, time at Leeds were up He has got to go somewhere why did you say He's that? He's just we couldn't accommodate him. Our whole thing was just work, 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 work. We didn't have, as you said before, we didn't have that great all-round team. Eric kind of put up with us for a while while well, he enjoyed it, and then things went to go wrong in a couple of European ties. Eric wasn't at his best. There was kind of loggerheads between the manager Eric and someone else going, "You need to work a wee bit, just help us a wee bit, Eric." But mm. Eric was like, "Well, this is what I do. Mm. It's fine." So he left to go to Man United, and again, it's like the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. What Man United were needing was Eric Cantona. What Eric Cantona was needing was Man United. Now, you've got to remember that Eric was never a real success in any club he went to. No. Any. He had loads of them. He was in trouble with you know, in every club he went to. Not even a terrific success for the national team, I'd have to say. No. That's no. what I'm saying. So, no. If you think about it as a player, take all his top games outside Man United. There's no many left. Mm-hmm. So it was a perfect storm there where that young side, that angry manager and hungry manager, plus him and getting the adulation he always wants. Mm. So the perfect storm was there. It, it wasn't us. you could, could put up with us and we could put up with him for a certain amount of time at Leeds and vice versa. But when he moved on to there, that was it,
2: you know? So I'd speculate that this famous thing which educated me about him regarding there's training but there's practice. And oh, he practised
6: a lot. He, he, did, he still did that? He did
2: that, yeah. He did that when
6: life was good. He, he would take two kids... They'd put balls over and they'd volley the ball in the back in it. So when you done it in Man United, I used to say, well, it's no off look. No. That's what you practice.
2: How much do you get in life that's completely free, reliable, regular, good for your sex life, and free? Yeah, the big interview. All of these, in their full form, and many more, are available if you search for the big interview on ACAST, that's A C A S T, iTunes. Or, usually, wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Interview was the idea of Backpage, and it's produced by them. Thanks to Beer Jacket for the music. Keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv, where there's a little box where you fill in your email address. And if you sign up there, you'll get our newsletter, which includes the opportunity to put your questions to our guests. We're on Facebook, search for The Big Interview, and GH Podcast on Twitter. anything else. Custom spray five and one. Only from
5: Rustolium.
2: Let us know what you think. More soon, baby.